This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Susan, you know, we all carry around different stressors, some big and some small. And sometimes they all tend to hit you at once on the same day. Yeah, like today. (laughs) It's not been a great day. More on that later on the show. But we all carry around these stressors, and keeping them bottled up can affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and learning how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself and isn't just for those who experience major trauma. It's also for those who've experienced a lot of bad things happening on one day. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash proof today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash proof. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Jamie Clark told us that his brother Lee is far from the only person he's seen Floyd County send to prison on false charges. They could put whoever they wanted in that seat and get get them sent to prison and forget about it. Because once they got them sent to prison, it's done with. I mean, when you're in prison, you ain't got no you ain't got no parole unless you've got a lot of money. And the people they were getting in trouble, they knew they didn't have a lot of money. Do you think anybody will ever come forward and say we were wrong about this one? I, I kind of feel like maybe somebody like uh, that Angela Bruce girl that testified, I kind of feel like maybe she'll want to right her wrongs and say, hey, look, this cop told me, hey, uh, I better do this or I was going to get in trouble for something I'd done. And it's been 20 years later, she might want to get that off her chest. Because I promise you 100% that cop made her lie. Just before Christmas in 1996, 31-year-old Angela Bruce moved to Rome, Georgia with her two young children. She found a trailer in the McKinney Trailer Park and started settling in. About a month later, on a random Friday night, she threw a party, just a casual get-together. About 15 to 20 people were there in all. And then one night, three months later, two Floyd County police officers showed up on her doorstep. They asked her about that party, and what Angela Bruce told them would lead to the arrest of Kane Story and Lee Clark. 
and what she testified to at trial would form the bedrock for their conviction. But Lee and Kane and their families all say that Angela Bruce was lying. Do you think she made it all up? I think Dallas Battles is the one who made it up. I think Dallas Battles is the one who made the story up, told her what she's gonna say, and uh, that was that. Uh, she was just, she was in a pickle with him, and uh, that was her way out. Hi, my name is Susan Simpson. I'm an attorney and podcaster, and previously I hosted the Undisclosed Podcast. Hi, I'm Jacinda Davis, and I'm a true crime TV producer. Last year, Susan and I decided to team up and reinvestigate the murder of Brian Bowling. Along with Kevin Fitzpatrick, president of Red Marble Media, we decided to launch Proof. You can listen to Proof like you would any podcast, and you can follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Proof. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. The information that I am providing today is coming from higher dimensional consciousness. Things got so weird during 2020, and it wasn't just the QAnon conspiracy theorists. This New Age channel told us but Donald Trump is a massive and powerful light worker. A light worker? And then what about this Oprah endorsed, best selling feminist health icon talking about heavy metals? That are in vaccines that make our bodies literally into an antenna with 5G. As we continued studying what we now call conspirituality, it only got more intense. This is, this is the cult of Baphomet. This is Molochite worshiping. Stuff. It gets very gory in the basement. And it culminated with that shaman dude showing up at the Capitol insurrection. But it didn't stop there. Every week on Conspirituality Podcast, we track the overlaps between New Age spirituality and far-right conspiracy cults. The state's case against Leon Kane was built on Angela Bruce. At trial, she testified that Lee and Kane had confessed to her, in exhaustive detail, how they had murdered Brian because he had broken the rules of the Freebird gang. Without her, the prosecution wouldn't have had a case. Her testimony was the only admissible evidence that the Freebird gang had even existed. In closing arguments, the prosecutor told the jury that there was nothing whatsoever to discredit her. She had no feud or axe to grind with either of the defendants. And Kane told me that much at least was true. He'd been shocked when he learned that the state planned to call Angela Bruce at trial. So y'all were, y'all were friendly? Yeah, no, that, that, that's why it blew my mind when they said Angela Bruce. I was like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, really? There wasn't no bad blood or nothing. Then she took the stand and I'm like, okay, this is really happening. I'm sitting here listening to the testimony going, really? <laughs> okay, all right, y'all really lying, motherfucker. That's exactly what I was saying to myself. 
Angela testified that Kane had attended the party with his uncle Phil and Phil's friend Smitty. Later on, another boy had knocked on the door, and that boy she identified at trial as Lee Clark. When Phil's group arrived, Angela had been playing cards in the kitchen with four of her friends. The trouble started with comments made by Phil and Smitty. Angela said Phil announced, I got a nephew here that'll blow anybody's brains out. And Smitty had told everyone, I got a gun right here where he can shoot someone else. That's about when Lee and Kane began to confess to murder. The boys explained to the group in the kitchen that they'd killed Brian because they were in a gang and Brian had known too much. They shot him execution style after putting a pillow over his head. Both Lee and Kane had explained to the others that their gang had some important rules, like once you're in the gang, you can never get out of it. And also, don't talk to pigs. If you do, you don't make it alive. The boys also said they had gang nicknames. Call me Ace, Kane had told Angela. And Lee had a gang name too. Spiky or Spanky or something like that, Angela testified. Eventually, Angela said she made Lee and Kane leave the party. But two blonde girls had been waiting outside for them in a blue or black car, and they all drove off together. On the witness stand, Angela identified Brian's girlfriend Caprice Hyatt as one of the blonde girls who'd driven away with Lee and Kane. Some parts of Angela's story are undoubtedly true. There really had been a party at her trailer, and Kane had been there. And what Angela said about both Phil and Smitty making comments about Kane, well, that seems to be true too. Phil's story told us something similar. When we walked in the house, Smitty, you just had to know him. But he said, I got the killer with me. You know, just being stupid, comical, you know. At trial, Phil said he'd explained to everyone that his nephew was the one they accused of killing the boy down there on the Rock Mart Road. But this story about Lee and Kane confessing to murder... That, he said, never happened. Kane says the same thing. Because all of that was a lie. I was there tonight, okay? Lee Clark wasn't there tonight. Matter of fact, the next day, I come back to her house because I left my lighter down there. I said, excuse me, ma'am. I left my She said, yes, baby, here it is right here. I said, thank you. I said, I hope, you, uh, she said, I hope everything works out for you and well in your legal trouble. I, I, I don't think you did everything. I said, oh, ma'am, I hope so, you know. So you yeah. talked to her the next day? Yeah, the next day. I thought I, I left my lighter down there and I had to go back down there and get it, yeah. Huh. She was all sweet and nice and everything else, you know, and somebody, you know, saying all these things to me. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, I'm like, what in the world? Okay, all right. Kane had only met Angela a handful of times. And he told Susan that the only time he'd talked to Angela about this case... She had been supportive. She told him she believed him. She believed that Brian had died playing Russian roulette. When we talked to Caprice, who the prosecution says was part of the conspiracy to kill Brian, she told us that Angela's story about her and another blonde girl picking Lee and Kane up from the party just wasn't true. And we talked to Caprice, who says, no way, nope, she was not at any party. She had no idea what we were talking about. Also, Angela describes the girl as having blonde hair. Caprice does not have blonde hair and told us she has never had blonde hair. Except for one brief phase many, many years later. Right, right. But not as a, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-old girl. 
Lee Clark also told us that he hadn't been at this party, and he doesn't know why Angela Bruce would say that he had been. He could only assume that she'd made some kind of deal with the state. His attorney thought the same thing, but they hadn't been able to prove it at trial. When we try to go digging in her background about her being possibly cut a deal, oh, they shut that down. They How'd they shut it down? Oh, they went, oh, well, Miss Bruce is not on trial here, and I can't prove this, but I think that they was threatening to take her kids or something. Uh, there had to be something going on there, so she got caught up in something with the police, and they cut her some kind of deal, and I bet, and I, I put money on that Dallas Battles cut her some kind of deal. You come in here and say this, and we're going to drop charges, or we're going to help keep the kids, or something to that extent. Right, well, I, I have seen that. I do a lot of cases in Baltimore. And I have seen that exact scenario several times. So is that just well, guessing, or is that what you know what happens there? That's just that's just uh, me and Rex Abernathy were guessing on it. We, no, we don't know what happened. On the witness stand, Angela testified that the year before Lee's and Kane's trial, she'd been in jail twice. But twice, the juvenile court judge had arranged for her to be released. At least one of those times she'd been in jail was because of her failure to show up for a custody hearing for her daughter. When asked about her children, Angela's responses had been terse and defensive. But the judge hadn't allowed the questioning to go too far. He thought the defense was using it as a way to attack her character. They wouldn't let us dig into it. They wouldn't let us get into her background to see if that was going on. There are some good reasons to be skeptical of Angela's testimony. First, there's the pillow. Angela says Lee and Kane confessed to putting a pillow over Brian's head before shooting him. But the forensic evidence was conclusive that no pillow was used. Second, Angela says Lee confessed to being in the bedroom when Brian was shot. But that's impossible. There simply hadn't been time for him to have escaped out the window before Brian's family rushed in to see what had happened. Third, Angela's statements should have been setting off alarm bells for everyone who was working on this case. The way her story changes and twists on important points, first claiming one thing, then the opposite, and then another thing entirely. And how Angela provided no new information about the case, yet she was able to confirm all the precise details that investigators already believed, but needed a way to prove. Like the pillow, the gang rules, the gang nicknames, Caprice's involvement. But the biggest reason of all to doubt Angela Bruce's story is this. If Kane and Lee confessed to murder, in front of Angela and four of her friends while they were all sitting together around the kitchen table playing cards, then how come the police never spoke to any of her friends about what they heard? This case has been a challenging one to investigate. Most of the records have been lost for reasons that the DA's office can't explain. So a lot of what we have to go on are random notes jotted down in the police file. Where are we headed now? Uh, something Crockett, I think on the name, remains away. This is someone who's just, a name is written in a file. There's no other information. I think I have much more to go on. 
great. Yep. <laughs> a lot of uh, fun witnesses like that in this case, where you just show up and be like, hey. Hey. There was a murder 25 years ago. You may or may not know something about it. Can you fill us in? Saw on... your name, handwritten. Yeah. You were so, right. Oh my God. Wow. So there's a sign that says private property, no trespassing. I don't call 911, you will be shot. So it almost looks like snot. <laughs> yeah, you're right, it does look like snot, but I think he meant shot. Well, Jimmy Crocker, why didn't we were selling Girl Scout cookies? Um, I kind of believe he'd shoot us. I don't know if I believe him, but I'm not gonna call his bluff. Because we were going in blind for many of the witnesses, we often didn't know what to expect when we showed up at someone's door. Now we're going on to Gore Street, six minutes away. I forget. Oh, Mark Champion. Again, don't really know why he's a witness, but his name's in the file, so I'm sure it'll be a fun surprise to find out what the police wanted to talk to him about. Hi there, we said when Mark Champion came to the door. We're looking at a murder case from two and a half decades ago. You wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? Mark's response, not unreasonably, had been, whoa. Then, after a moment, he added, I was there at a party one night. Is that what you're talking about? Yep, we said, that's probably it. All right, so Mark Champion's story is that he's never been talked to police, but he was at a party, he seemed to think it, Angela Bruce was the one who had the party. Oh, no, he said it was Angela Bruce's place, but he was there with a friend okay. who brought him. Jessica was his friend who and brought was him. And the only time he'd been to a party at Angela Bruce's place, so it's got to be the, the same night. He was mistaken. He said that Phil's story was Josh's grandfather, which he is a lot older. Mark Champion remembered the party, but barely. He'd been there with a girl named Jessica, he said and another friend of his as well, a guy named Chris West. And he remembered Phil's story being there too. Phil had been talking to Mark's friend Chris, but Mark himself hadn't been part of the conversation. He had just overheard Phil saying something about how his grandson had killed another boy. Right. So what was the name of the man who was with Phil's story? Who Phil Smitty. Said, Howard Smith. Smith. The guy we just talked to said he was in the back room. He just overheard Phil. It's very possible he actually overheard Smitty saying, You know, that here makes comes more sense. The killer, I've got the killer here. And once you say, I'm here with the killer, everybody, people are going to start talking. What are you talking about? Who is that? Oh, didn't you hear his friend got shot in the head? Like, it makes sense. Maybe, but Mark Champion had never heard anyone confessing to this murder. I told Kane's story about our interview with Mark. Mark, uh, Mark Champion? Oh. I don't know who that is. He didn't know you either. He was there that night. Okay. He did remember an older guy coming in and saying something about, I'm with the killer. I don't know who that is. My mom wouldn't say that. Or like, the old guy you were with made a comment about the murder. I, oh, my uncle did say it. This is my nephew, the one that accused of killing that boy on Crane Road. Mark Champion told us he'd been in the back room of the trailer for much of the party, so he wouldn't have heard everything that happened. And most of what he knew had come from his friend, Chris West, anyway. In fact, Mark said, Chris is the one who actually contacted the police about it. Chris West was one of the four people Angela Bruce identified as being at her party that night. 
He was actually one of Brian Bowling's close friends. And when Kane had shown up, Angela said, he'd been upset and told her that Kane had killed his friend. And even though there's no record of the police actually interviewing Chris West, we think they must have talked to him at some point. After all, someone had given Mark Champion's name to the police. They had written it down on a page of notes that has Chris West's name, address, and phone number. There's a short note below that that says, 15-20 people at party. Kane, Phil, Smitty, together. The note does not mention Lee Clark being with them, though, which is interesting, because if these are notes from when the police spoke to Chris West, that suggests Chris had not told them anything about Lee. Unfortunately, Chris West passed away in 2015. We aren't able to ask him about it. But that left three other party attendees that Angela Bruce identified by name in her first statement to the police. P.A. Lampkin, Chance Lampkin, and Katrina Thomas. It turned out that P.A., Chance, and Katrina were all siblings. Unfortunately, Chance died in 2010, and during our first trip to Rome to talk to witnesses, we learned that Katrina had died in a tragic accident just a few months earlier. That left only one other party attendee that Angela Bruce had named in her statement to the police. The the guy I really want to find is a guy named P.A. Lampkin. And I know he's in Rome. I know he's there somewhere. I just got That is one of the guys they were talking about that was at, uh, what's your name's party? Yeah, Angela Bruce's party. Yeah, I remember it from the trial. I remember speaking that name. P.A. Lampkin proved hard to find, but there had been approximately 15 to 20 people in all at the party. Maybe there were other attendees we could locate. We asked Phil's story if there was anyone else he could remember being there. Who else was there at the party? Anyone you know? No. But there were others there? There was others there, yeah. But see, like I didn't go no further in the kitchen. There was people back there in the back bedroom right there. On the same page of notes with Mark Champion's name on it, there had been another name as well, Lee Mobs. And after learning that Mark Champion had been at Angela's party, it seemed possible that Lee Mobs' name had been listed there for the same reason. Dan, the cameraman, and I went to speak to him. So, Lee Mobs, very friendly, very helpful. Yeah. Doesn't remember jack shit, but <laughs> very helpful otherwise. I mean, at least, you know, you have possibly... I have this, a lead on uh, P.A. Lampkin. Yeah. I've got a, a Facebook in. <laughs> His account is locked down, so I, I couldn't message him. Yeah, I mean, if he gives that in, that would be huge. It's really what I need. Like, yeah. Lee Mobs knew P.A. Lampkin, and he remembered going to parties at Angela Bruce's trailer. But this specific party, not so much. Even if he had said he would talk, or if he would be agree, rather, yeah. to be recorded, he's just like, I don't really remember yeah. anything. Um, I, I mean, do believe if you remember the party, you tell us. Yeah, no, I, I fully believe my media just like... And the way you put it, it, it makes sense. Like, this was not a party party. This was not like a planned event. This was no, not yeah. something you got invited to. Okay. It was that this woman had a trailer and a younger boyfriend, and right. people knew they could go there. Yeah, just hang out and smoke and drink. And... and he didn't say this, but I feel pretty confident that if he had been in a party where someone confessed to a murder, especially someone he knew and already didn't really Anybody care had, for, yeah. he had recalled. 
Lee Mobs knew Lee Clark, and he didn't recall ever seeing Lee Clark at any of Angela Bruce's parties. And he definitely didn't recall either him or Kane ever confessing to murder while at one. So in our quest to track down people who had been at this party, that left us with two teenage girls that Mark Champion told us had been there. He'd forgotten the name of the younger one, but the older one, he said, had been Jessica. You know what? We should go to the, the library and get a, a yearbook. yearbook. There's gotta be so many 15-year-old blonde girls in 1997. Yeah, and probably a lot named Jessica. Yeah. Anyway, the point being, the Angela Bruce story. I mean, why didn't Lee or Kane's attorneys go talk to these people? Yeah, they could have talked to them and called any one of them. Jessica would not have been hard to find if either Kane's or Lee's attorneys had tried. She'd gone to the same high school as Lee and Kane, and Lee thought he knew who she was. A classmate of his named Jessica Smith. She had red hair, he told us. Susan and I managed to track her down. We just spoke to a Jessica Smith, who I'm, who I'm pretty sure is the Jessica Smith that we're looking for. Um, right age, knew some of the right people, had red hair. I think it's gotta be her. I think it was definitely her. She said she was in a back bedroom. A party that sounds an awful like like it was this party. But she does not remember much beyond that. Did not remember a confession whatsoever. Didn't remember the murder. Had never been talked to about this. Jessica Smith actually remembered the party at Angela's trailer, though her memories of it were pretty vague. But it, it all lines up. She was at the party for hours, and nothing about it. it. Had there actually been a murder confession there that night or an altercation because of it, one would think that might have made an impression. And it did not. But damn, it's kind of hard to track down people from a party happened 25 years ago where we're pretty sure nothing actually happened and ask, you remember that party? No one remembers because <laughs> nothing, nothing happened. happened. <laughs> I gave Lee Clark an update on our efforts to track down people who'd been at this party. Well, we talked to three people at the party. Mark Champion, Jessica Smith, and Lee Mobs. You did talk to Jessica Smith? We did. What did she have to say? So we go to her, and she was really confused. as like, why are we wanting to talk about this party from, you know, when she was a teenager? And then she kind of clicked, and she actually did remember the party. But she doesn't remember much of it, which is not surprising. Okay. But she did what she did not remember is anything about a confession for murder. Well, she remembers me, don't she? Not really. She don't remember me. Okay, well, I'm surprised. It was one of those things where she was like, "That kind of sounds familiar. Like maybe I went to high school with him, but I don't remember." Yeah, I guess I didn't make as good an impression as I thought I did. <laughs> yeah, how well did you know her? <laughs> what? Uh, I was I was trying to fool around with her for a minute, but evidently I didn't make a good impression. <laughs> I mean, you didn't make a bad one either, so. But if she'd seen you there that night, obviously she wouldn't recognize you then. So, so she was with Mark Champion, who I don't believe you knew or know. No, I don't know him. Um, and he did recall someone coming to the party and talking about how their grandson, like, was a killer or something. Crazy shit Bill would say when he's drunk. 
There was at least one person at Angela Bruce's party that night who, back in 1997, had known Lee Clark. And possibly a second person as well, if Lee Mobs was there that night. So if Lee Clark really had been at this party, it seems very likely that either one or both of them would have recalled it. Especially if he'd been there confessing to murder. They would have been important witnesses for the police to speak to. But that's the thing, like, why didn't the cops talk to any of these people at the time? Unless they did and didn't record it. Well, even if they had talked to people, how cooperative do you think people would have been? Well, Chris West, for instance, would have been super cooperative. He was a friend of Brian's. I mean, Angela Bruce's story, they should have attempted to corroborate it, and they just didn't at all. And how do you disprove something that like this? I mean, even back then, I guess, how you disprove it? If she sticks to her story, they just say everyone else is lying. But why on earth, when you're determining guilt beyond reasonable doubt, would you give Angela Bruce the benefit of all doubts and everyone else benefit of none? There was one last person at Angela Bruce's party we needed to talk to, Angela Bruce herself. Susan and I packed up the car and headed out of state to where she is now living. When we got to her house, we didn't even get a chance to knock on her door. She came out and met us in the front yard. Are you Angela Bruce, we asked. Who wants to know, she responded. We told her why we were there and that we were hoping to hear from her about the party where she told police she'd once heard two boys confess to murder. I'm not going to get involved in that, she said. I don't remember it. It was so long ago. And besides, I don't know anything about it anyway. She was a little bit, she wasn't friendly at first. No, she was definitely a little skeptical. And she was uh, talking to us at the gate of her porch. And then I pulled the pregnancy card and like, oh, I can't, I can't stand up for long. It would be all right. I'm so sorry to intrude. Would be all right if we sat down your porch? She couldn't say no. <laughs> also, it was kind of true. <laughs> so. And I'm glad she agreed to let us record her. It was important. It's been two decades since Angela Bruce lived in Floyd County, but she does not have fond memories of the place. What's the first thing you said to us about Floyd County when we walked up? You were like, Floyd County is hell or something? Yeah, that's walking in hell. Because the police wants to get you for anything. They'll charge you just to get you to get money off of you. Floyd County's crooked. And that's made me have a bad outlook on police because of the way I was done. Angela Bruce moved to Floyd County a few months after Brian's death, but it wasn't too long after she'd arrived that she first heard about it. Some of her neighbors at the McHenry Trailer Park had known the Bowling family, and they told her about a boy who'd been killed playing Russian roulette. Then, a little later on, she found out that the boy's family thought his death hadn't been an accident at all. They thought he'd been murdered. When you first heard that it was a suicide, then you heard it was a murder. Yeah. And then this party happens. And then the party happens, and Bill's story comes, and let me make this clear. There was a young guy with him. He had, like, light brown hair or something, brownish color hair with blonde streaks in it back then. He was just a He was, like, 17 or 18 years old. And I told him, I said, you're going to have to leave because this is an adult party, not a child's party. I remember him leaving. 
We were there because we wanted to talk to Angela about whether anyone had ever confessed to murder at a party she'd hosted. But what Angela wanted to talk about was how there had definitely not been any teenagers drinking any alcohol at this party. And Smitty and Phil came, and I told Phil, I said, I don't know who this young man is, but he needs to go home because this is an adult party. There's no alcohol allowed to be given to children on my watch. It was a few months later that two cops had shown up at her door and asked her about this party. And I remember the cops coming and telling me that um, there was a, a murder that happened. I said, oh, and they were at your house. I said, who was at my house? And that's when they said these two, I can't remember. You said one of them's name, Kane. Kane. Okay, I remember the name Kane. Kane's story. So the police were the ones who told you they were at the party? Yeah. How'd they know they were at the party? That's just, I think that's what they said. Kane's story, Angela Bruce did remember a little bit, but this other boy, Lee Clark, no, Angela told us he hadn't been there. Sometimes it's hard to know, like, what you know now versus what you know then. Like, you saying Lee wasn't even there. Did you believe that then as well when you were talking to the police or? No, they told me he was there. Yeah, they're, they're telling you this stuff. You're, you, at first you believe what they're saying. Like, yeah. oh, they must. They must know something So the other boy, Lee, he was not charged for like until yes. end of May of 97. Um, Why would he be charged with something if he wasn't there? Because you told the police he confessed to the murder. I never told the police that. It was, so the, according to the police, you're, you're the, evidence against him. Well. They didn't have anything else. I don't know why they use evidence that I had said anything, because I don't remember saying nothing like that. I don't remember them bragging about killing somebody, y'all. You think you would remember if it had happened? Oh, yeah. So that wouldn't have slipped your mind if they if two boys come in? If two boys come in my home telling me, supposedly, that they murdered somebody? You think I'm gonna forget that? No. Angela still had strong feelings about both the police officers who interviewed her in this case. She had disliked them both, though, for very different reasons. And they're crooked, like I said. And it's a good thing that Dallas is dead, because he got what he got coming to him. The other police officer was just a hateful man. I'm the police. He, he wore his badge on his side like he was some kind of hot rod detective, and all he was was a blue collar police officer. He was really angry, you know, about the situation. And uh, he said, You need to tell us what's going on. Angela told us that Dallas Battle and the other officer, whose name she didn't recall, but who must have been investigator David Stewart, had explained to her why Kane's story was guilty of murder. They didn't believe the Russian roulette thing. They believed that that because they were in a gang that they shot and killed him. That's what the police in Dallas had said. I said, well, I don't know about all that. I don't know. I wasn't there. You know, I can't speak on nothing like that. The thing is, though, Angela Bruce did speak on something like that. She had testified that Kane and Lee had confessed to this murder. 
though she told us she didn't recall doing so. The, um, you, you were kind of the critical witness in the case. I, I don't understand why they would just go on my, what I say, if they had other witnesses. Well, there were other witnesses who testified at court. But the, for Lee, Lee Clark, you were the evidence that got Lee arrested because no one else had come forward at that point until they found you. According to the police file, the first time anyone ever tells them Lee was involved was when you talked to them. I don't believe that. I, I don't necessarily believe that either, but according to their records... Well, their records is wrong. You said, According to the transcript, you said that, well, that's awful sorry to shoot someone like that. And um, Kane bragged and said he didn't shoot him and he didn't care who didn't like it and that they walked in there, put a pillow over his head, there was a scuffle or something, and they were arguing and scuffling, and he fell in the bed, they put the pillow on his head, and shot him in the head. <laughs> I didn't say none of that. You didn't say any of that? No. I, I don't remember saying none of that. I mean, so your, your testimony is pretty detailed. Yeah. And pretty descriptive. Well, um, as being a witness to something, you're not going to be that descriptive because you don't really know. Wait, so you're saying the description is a sign that... You know, it, it was so in-depth to where I believe there was words added to my testimony because I remember talking to the police and I told them, I said, I had a party. Bill story came and some short guy with a beard came. I didn't know his name. And um, his nephew came. And I told him that he needed to tell his nephew to go home, that there was no children allowed at the adult party. Finally, since Angela kept bringing this issue up, I asked her a question I already knew the answer to. Were there teenagers at the party or? I don't remember teenagers per se, except for an 18 year old girl and she was strawberry blonde, but there was another female there. She was underage and I didn't allow it. And did Stuart talk about the underage drinking or? Like, yeah. What did he tell you about that? That it was against the law. And then he said that he could call the DSS and get my children taken away. And when he said that, I said, no. I said, no, that ain't gonna happen. He was like, either you tell us what's going on, I remember him saying, or we're gonna get you and put you in jail for giving alcohol to minors. I said, I didn't give no alcohol, no drink, no mine. So there, he was implying, or at least not implying, or stating that if you tell us what we want to hear, then we will not let the Department of Social Services yeah. know about the party you had. Right. Despite Angela Bruce's denials, I knew that there had been underage teenagers at this party. I had spoken to at least two of them. And evidently, Sergeant Battle and Investigator Stewart had known there were minors at this party as well. It's important for y'all to know that I was threatened. And I had to say what I had to say to protect my children. And as a mother, I'm going to protect my children to the day I die. And then thereafter, I'll haunt whoever's bothering them. But the Floyd County police officers are very crooked. And they get you to say things and they threaten you with things so you'll say what they want you to say. And that's the truth. If you know anybody, anything about Rome, Georgia, Floyd County, you'll know that's the truth. So the testimony 
that we read to you earlier, the statement we read to you earlier, where you say they came in and they they were bragging about shooting someone. I was someone told to say that. You never heard anyone confess to any murder? No, nobody sat at my table and talked about any murder. Looking back now, do you feel like something you said may have led them, like put them on the path to being convicted? I believe what I was forced to say did. But the truth of the matter is, is that they didn't sit at my table talking about a murder. Kane said that they, him, Brian Bowling, playing Russian roulette, and he got shot. And I just, I feel like that they shouldn't have depended on my statement because I was forced into saying something I didn't want to say. So if Kane and Lee didn't confess to this murder, where had Angela gotten all the details that had been in her statements? Why did she say, for instance, that Kane and Lee had shot Brian through a pillow? No, they did not sit around no table confessing no murder by using any kind of daggum pillow. I kept hearing about a pillow, but I never seen a pillow. I mean, you know, if they gonna use a pillow, they need to show me what was the pillow. Did it have blood on it? It would have blood on it and a bullet hole. You said you kept hearing about the pillow. Who, who were you The hearing? police. The police kept saying there was the pillow. The pillow was what muffled the shot. There was no muffling, no shot. It's gonna go pow. It ain't gonna go it's gonna go pow. From the police file, we knew that Dallas Battle and David Stewart had gone to Angela's trailer on two separate occasions to get statements from her about the bowling case. But Angela said she'd seen Dallas Battle on more occasions than that. We know that he interviewed you twice. Do you think it was more often than that? Oh, he interviewed me twice, but he came over more than twice. Cause he was really interested in me. I don't, I don't date married men. And I told the man, I said, you got a ring on your finger. You need to go home to your wife and get her in bed. I said, cause you ain't getting me. You, you think, but you felt pretty sure he was trying to sleep with you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He would not be the only witness you spoke to who has said that? Yeah. So. He was one crooked police. Was, was he like being, like was he trying to be charming? Or he was. was you know, he was really charming and so flirtatious like pressuring you. and telling me, you know, you know, if you say this, 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 I'll take you out to dinner. I said, you know what? I can take myself out to dinner. So he was never, he was persistent, but not being but He was forceful. really persistent, but he kept coming over, you know, checking. He said, I'm just checking on you. Are you okay? Do you need anything? I said, I don't need nothing. I'm great. So he just flirted and... He was very charming and flirtatious. He thought he was God's gift to women, okay? And he wasn't ashamed that he was married, neither. He came over more than once. And it was always at, uh, like, um, like almost dark 30. It was really weird, you know? Like he was wanting something to happen. So you thought, your impression was he was wanting you to invite him in? Yeah, and have sex, to be honest with you. Was this before the trial or after? It was uh, before and, and after and during. You and know. during? Yeah. yeah.
Angela told us that Dallas Battle never threatened her. If anything, she claims, it was the other officer, Investigator Stewart, who had been the threatening one. He threatened to get her kids taken away. But even though Sergeant Battle's demeanor towards Angela had been outwardly friendly, she told us his continued visits to her trailer had begun to feel like harassment. You know, I can understand interviewing a witness once, maybe twice. But why would you come singly by yourself to my home at 10, 11 o'clock at night when I'm in bed? You know, I had two children I had to get up to go, go to school. Was Battle explicit about what he was looking for, or was he just... Oh, it was clear. As a woman, as a female, you know when a man wants you, okay? And he was nothing but a whore, a perverted whore, male whore. It was a cop that had a badge, and he used that badge as getting his way. And, you know, things like that will scare you to where you got to do whatever you got to do for your babies. That's even, even if that means sleeping with the police or telling them what they want to hear. Angela Bruce acknowledged giving a false statement to the police about Lee and Kane. But like other witnesses we have spoken to, she insisted that she did not remember testifying against Lee and Kane at their trial. And for how long did Dallas Battle keep coming by your house? He came by my house a lot, even after the, the trial. And I, I remember telling him, you know, you, you don't need to come to my home no more. This is harassment. So there were a few times, and I didn't want to call her out yeah. on it, where she's like, I don't remember any trial. I don't remember the trial. And but then, then she, she would say, oh, no, he continued to come to my house after the trial. Like, mm, so you do remember there was a trial? The trial's over. You don't have to come by anymore. So she remembers the trial. Does she remember what she testified about? Maybe not. Does she feel so bad about what she testified that she just wants it to be a buried memory? The other possibility, of course, is that Angela denied any memory of testifying at trial for the same reason she denied any memory of serving alcohol to minors at her party. Because both of those things would technically be crimes, and Angela did not want to admit to perjury. It wasn't until you talked to the police that they re-arrest Kane and arrest Lee for the first time and charge him with the conspiracy to commit murder. See, that's a shame. You know, I was forced into saying stuff. Why, if, if I was in this courtroom, why didn't the judge see through me? If he was such a good judge. Because the, the judges and the police are together. All, all of it was Russian roulette. And Lee Clark was not even there. And, I don't, and the only reason why he got brought up in it is because police mentioned him. You mentioned to us earlier that the police didn't like these boys. No, they didn't like them. Did they tell you why they didn't like them? No, they never told me why. They always thought that they were, they were in a, uh, what do you call it, some kind of thieving ring, stealing stuff. And that's what they told me. This thieving ring was called the Freebird Gang 
or at least that's what Angela Bruce testified to at trial. After talking to Angela Bruce, we began to understand how many of the confusing details in her statements came to be. Like Angela's story about Caprice showing up at this party to pick up Kane and Lee. In, in your, when you went at trial, you mentioned a blonde girl. Strawberry blonde. She was there that night. Um, and Kane was there. But I don't remember seeing Lee Clark at my party. When Angela clarified that the blonde girl, the one she identified at trial as Caprice, had not just been blonde, but rather strawberry blonde, it suddenly clicked for us who she was talking about. I can't even remember the female's name, but she was pretty. My dear, I remember asking. Was, was there, there a Jessica there? That's her name, Jessica. Jessica Smith? Angela Bruce told us that Jessica Smith and another blonde girl had come back to the party later that night and picked up Phil's story. They put Phil in the front seat because they couldn't get him in the back seat. He was too drunk. What were they driving? A little car. I believe it was a black car. A dark colored car, black, dark blue, purple, something like that. Something dark. And they put him in the front seat. The, the girl that was in the front seat got in the back seat. Because Phil couldn't get in the back seat. That's how drunk he was. <laughs> and you think it was Jessica's car? Mm-hmm. And uh, they drove him home. In 1997, Angela Bruce gave two statements to the police. In the first statement, she doesn't mention any teenage girls. In the second statement, she suddenly recalls two girls picking up Lee and Kane, and Caprice was driving. The investigators asked her what kind of car she'd been in. It was a little car. It looked like it might have been a blue or black little car. So the, the part of uh, Angela Bruce's story that was always very weird was her claim that Caprice Hyatt showed up, like this blonde girl showed up at the party. And I think that mystery's been resolved. Yeah, it's Jessica Smith. The blonde girl's never Caprice. It was Jessica. At the end of our interview with Angela, I asked her if she had anything to say to Kane and Lee. Lee, I'm so sorry that I was forced into doing that. And I hope you can understand that I was a single parent with children that threatened my children against me. And I feel like you deserve to be set free because he wasn't there. And Kane, Joshua, I want to tell you, son, I'm sorry, y'all. You should have never had the gun. Now you got in trouble for the gun, but you didn't commit the murder. Please forgive me, because I was forced into saying stuff about the police, and you know as well as I do that Fort County's messed up and crooked. And I feel like both of you need to be set free. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry. I'm really so sorry. and I feel like they need to be set free. It was because of Angela Bruce that the Supreme Court of Georgia upheld Lee and Kane's conviction, despite the trial court having mistakenly allowed an evidence that should never have been let in. 
But the erroneous admission of this other evidence, the court concluded, had been made harmless by the testimony of the party hostess. So what does it mean for Lee and Kane that Angela Bruce recanted her testimony? Well, this is something Susan and I had discussed even before we talked to her. But witnesses that recant don't matter usually. You'd need to have like something that, like she got a deal or got money. Continue on US 27 North. The recanting is meaningless, but her having something that should have been disclosed that wasn't, that's what matters. If she recants so, there's really zero. No. Witnesses changing stories doesn't mean jack shit. Courts do not care. You can have every single witness in the case saying, oh yeah, I totally lied. The defendant didn't do it. I made it all up. And the court is not going to hear a thing. I'll tell you to get the hell out of that courtroom. It doesn't matter. Now what matters is they're like, yeah, I made the whole thing up. And I got paid $10,000 to say it. Or I got my kids back. Yeah. But a case like this, there's no DNA. There's no, like solid evidence against Lee or Kane. Yeah, that's their problem. It's only eyewitness testimony. That's their problem. They should have proven she was a liar back then, and they failed to do so. Our criminal justice system is set up so that both the defense and the prosecution are supposed to prove at trial whether or not a witness is lying. Once the trial is over, the question of whether the witness is lying doesn't really matter, not by itself anyway. When we told Lee's father, Glenn Clark, about our interview with Angela Bruce, he didn't have much of a reaction. He was glad someone had finally spoken to her, but he'd known she was lying for a long time, and that had never changed anything before. So you all along, you thought Angela was lying. Oh, yeah. And now that feeling you had is confirmed. Yeah. I mean, there's, look, there was a whole bunch of people in this trial lying. I mean, it, it, it's just obvious. I told y'all a long time, I'm not an educated man, but I, I got a degree in common sense, but common sense don't mean nothing in court. It don't. It don't mean nothing in court. What Angela Bruce told us may or may not mean anything in court, but it does mean something to Lee Clark. Here, let's see if I can find the... Um... Can you hear that? Lee, I'm so sorry. From the bottom of my heart, I'm so sorry. I'm really so sorry. And I feel like they need to be set free. Did you hear any of that? Yeah, I heard it. That's about done broke me down right there. I've been waiting for 25 years to hear that. God my. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something, Susan. Regardless how, well, regardless how all this right here turns out, I'm indebted to you for the rest of my life. You brought me a lot of joy, Susan. You really have. And you realize what you just did? You realize that the weight of what you just lifted off me? I don't think I can. God almighty, Susan, you just lifted the weight off my shoulders.
next time on Proof. Can you think of another homicide case where there was not a referral for an autopsy? Independently, I cannot. And he's the one who ordered that there not be an autopsy. And every single person we have talked to who's closely related to Brian, his sister, his brother-in-law, his uncle, his aunt, they are 100% convinced that Brian had an autopsy and was sent to Atlanta or somewhere. I wanted to go today. When they exhumed the body, just to see the process in case I ever had to do it, but I, I didn't, for some reason, I didn't get to go. She did kept saying there's there's a gun buried or up under Josh's trailer. And I swear she used to try to get me to go crawl up under that trailer to dig for this guy. You've been listening to Proof, a podcast by Red Marble Media. We're off next Monday for Memorial Day, but we're back on June 6th with episode 13. Send us your questions and comments to proofcrimepod at gmail.com. We'll respond during our bonus episodes, Proof Sidebar, on Thursdays. Kevin Fitzpatrick is our executive producer. Our logo was designed by Drew Hoseski, and our theme music is by Ramiro Marquez. Audio production for this episode is by George Panos and Michael Yulatowski. Production assistance provided by Jude Slava. Our social media manager is Skylar Park. Thank you to our sponsors for making it possible for us to come back week after week. Follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.